0: I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, sauté some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. and it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com/etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com ETM. No matter what career you're in, we all have these stereotypes that exist in our industry. For me, being a certified financial planner, really, there's only 22 to 23% of us that are female. And I think when you think of financial planner, you probably think of an older dude, which is certainly something we're trying to debunk. And You probably also think of financial planner, like, why would I need one of those? That's like a used car salesman. So there are all of these different types of stereotypes. You have them in your career, I have them in mine. I'm Shauna Compton-Game, this is Millennial Money, and today we're talking how do you overcome those industry stereotypes with Mary Beth Storjahan and a unique Ask Shauna question. Your money with Shauna Compton games. It will expand your brain. So we have a super fun Ask Shauna question that was sent in by Sabrina, and I have a feeling you might be in the same situation. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and thinking, you know, what do I do after I've achieved a lot of financial goals? So Sabrina says, hey, Shauna, thanks to the podcast, we've hit some major goals. We've paid off the last $20,000 in student loans, started putting money in our 401k, got our credit card situated so we're earning points each month, and finally have been budgeting gulp and watching our numbers each month. As a result, we've been able to save $250 to $300 a month consistently for our emergency fund, a trip we want to take to Germany later this year, and so much more. It honestly feels so good. You always say on the podcast how we can use what's in our bank account to make changes, and I never realized it actually could work until we started doing it. So thank you. And to all the listeners, it does work. And if it works for me, it can work for you too. My question is, though, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? What are the things that we should be thinking about that we maybe haven't thought about before? It's a great question, Sabrina. And like I said, you might be in the same situation where, you know, you're maybe early, mid thirties, maybe late 30s, you've tackled a lot of financial goals, and you're trying to figure out well, where do I go from here? And I think it's an easy place to get into because most of us spend a lot of our 20s trying to tackle debt and Really like figure out, okay, what does our career look like? What does our life look like? All of those tricky questions, we're just trying to navigate things. And, you know, sometimes you can get to the point where you've checked a lot of the boxes off and you're just not quite sure, where do I go from here? So a couple of things, kind of food for thought, I would say to think about, Uh, especially Sabrina, you know, have you beefed up your emergency fund? Do you have at least three months worth of fixed expenses in there? And are they in a high-yield interest savings account? So not a traditional bank savings account where the interest rate you're earning is pretty darn close to zero. But, you know, someplace like Ally Bank or Capital One 360, theirs isn't as, quite as robust anymore. Socrani Bank is great. American Express has one. Uh, there's so many different places out there that have high-yield interest savings accounts. And what I really love, I mean, obviously I love that you're earning more interest than your bank savings account, but what I really love is that you've got that money like tucked away. So you aren't quite tempted to dip into it when you want to like have an extravagant dinner or, you know, buy that $200 pair of shoes. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind, and yet it's there and it's growing. Another thing to think about is your 401k. Are you contributing up to the match? If you are great then can you challenge yourself to put away maybe the max this year? The max in 2018 is 18,500. Okay, can you challenge yourself to get there? If you work for yourself, can you open an IRA or a Roth IRA? Challenge yourself to meet the goal there. You know what can you do just that gives yourself a little extra push to save more money, but to save money in places where you're going to get hopefully a interest bump, a, a, you know, appreciation in the money that you're putting away. I would also say, you know, look at your risk exposure for your money. This is something that people often overlook. And it's really one of the, it's really one of the places where I see a lot of people's financial goals fall apart because they haven't thought about the risks, especially when you're in your 20s and 30s. You're pretty, well, thinking you're invincible. Like nothing is going to, to happen, but stuff does happen. So, you know, is your car insurance really up to par? When was the last time you looked at your car insurance and looked at is this the right car insurance coverage for me for my vehicle? What about renter's insurance? Same thing. Do you have renter's insurance? Are you do you have enough? Do you have maybe too much? You know, what does that look like? An umbrella policy, life insurance, disability insurance, all of these financial risks that you have exposure to, okay, let's start thinking about those and thinking about how we can systematically cover those risks so that if something happens to you, your all of these amazing goals and this progress that you made doesn't just evaporate. And then I think, you know, what goals are up next? You know, can you chart a path just like you've already done towards whatever big goal you might have next? But This is a great question, Sabrina. And, you know, although there isn't one clear answer, I think it's just going and really looking at your finances, looking at your goals and saying, okay, where do we have risk exposure? Where do we maybe need to beef up a little bit more? What are some areas that we, that we just kind of have like pushed aside while we're trying to do these other goals like pay off debt and pay off our student loans that maybe now we kind of got to come back to? And it could be simple things like maybe you um, you and your partner look at like, okay, how good is our monthly money system? Do we need to change that or alter that? All of those things really make up, uh, you know, a strong financial foundation. So this is a great question. Thank you so much, Sabrina, for submitting it. If you haven't asked Shana a question, please, the link is in the show notes. Send me over uh, as much information as you want to, and I would absolutely love to answer your question. Today's podcast, though, I am super excited for this episode. As I teased in the opener, you know, no matter what career you're in, you're really likely to find some industry stereotypes that you have to overcome. And being a certified financial planner is absolutely no different. So I had the chance to chat with Mary Beth Storjahan, who is a fellow CFP. She is a leader in the CFP world. She's an owner of Workable Wealth. She's a podcaster herself with her Work Your Wealth podcast, A Mother, and so much more. And what we decided to do was break a conversation about careers and stereotypes and women and money and all of these tips and things that we've learned over the years into two parts. So on this podcast, you're going to hear part one with Mary Beth. And then part two is over on her podcast, Work Your Wealth. I'm going to have the link in the show notes and that conversation is with me. So I'll be dishing all of the same sorts of uh, information and tips and things that I have learned. So be sure to head on over there to listen to part two so you can check that out. But Mary Beth is super awesome. She's got so much good personal and professional interesting stories and advice to share and uh She's really leaving no stone unturned. So before we head into that uh, piece with Mary Beth, just a quick word from our podcast episode sponsors. Audiobooks are such a great sidekick to your summer activities. Honestly, there is nothing I love more than to lay in a hammock and listen to some of my favorite books. Plus, I think listening to a book is just a great way to binge content you love while you're also doing the stuff that you love. And there's something magical about listening to a book that really just brings it to life. This weekend I had a few minutes to relax, so I listened to, again, one of my very favorite stock market investing books, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch, and it is a must listen to you if you want to start stock investing. With Audible, you can listen to more books by switching seamlessly between your devices and just picking up where you left off, so it makes it really easy if you're someone who's always on the go like myself. And Audible members get a credit every month good for any audiobook in their store, regardless of price. And those unused credits, they just roll over to the next month. But don't take my word for it. Check out Audible yourself and join me on a a one-book-a-month quest. Audible is offering Millennial Money listeners a free audiobook with 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash money and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free Why not One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch and start listening today? Go to audible.com slash mymoney or text mymoney to 500-500 to get started today. One thing we can all agree on is that when it comes to our finances, it's never fun paying that monthly phone bill. The bills themselves, they're confusing. There's all these extra costs and charges and calling in to ask questions. Just forget it. You're going to be on hold listening to music forever. Luckily, I'm here to tell you about a new company that is finally making the phone carrier experience an easy one, all while saving money. It's called Wing. And Wing is a new digital-first phone carrier. Yes, a phone carrier, a lot like Verizon and AT&T, except you're actually going to enjoy dealing with Wing. Wing's average bill is only $35 a month. That's a shock. While most people who haven't joined Wing are still paying over $100 a month. I know I was certainly in that category. Plus, Wing uses the exact same cell towers as the major carriers, so you'll get the same coverage, but for less money. No strings attached, no hidden fees. The real perk, though, is if you don't use all your data in a month, they actually give you money back, so you only ever pay for the data you use, which is really honestly the way it should be. All right, so here's what you need to know. You keep your same phone number and your phone. The setup takes just a few minutes, and you're never without service, and you won't lose anything on your phone. And Wing offers family plan, eliminated plans, international data, all the good stuff. If you have a lease, Wing will even carry that lease over to them, so there's nothing holding you back from switching. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose, and you're going to love this. The average person saves 30% on their bill when they switch. Right now, my listeners can get $25 off their first phone bill with Wing when you go to wingalpha.com click join wing and then enter the promo code mymoney. Just go to wingalpha.com. That's wingalp com. Click join wing and enter the code mymoney. M-y-m-o-n-e-y. It's time to get with a phone carrier that makes sense and start saving up to 30% off your monthly bill. So Mary Beth, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. We have sort of known each other through the CFP Financial Planning World channels for some time now, but um, I just thought it was awesome to be able to kind of do this podcast swap beyond each other's podcasts and talk about maybe some of the things that... Uh, Maybe our little taboo that other CFPs don't talk about and and share certainly some of our wisdom. Yeah, I'm
1: super excited to be here. Um, I know we have been chatting on Twitter right for so long. (laughs) I know you, you know me. Let's be Facebook friends. Okay, let's talk in person. Right, that's the normal (laughs) progression, right? Exactly.
0: I love I love when social media actually does its job. I know, right? Uh, perfect. So you know. There's kind of this common perception, I think, that, you know, being CFPs that we've got this, this money thing, like all figured out. Nothing ever has gone wrong for us. We've never made any mistakes. And I'm certainly the first one to admit that that's so not true. Uh, but what about you? I mean, has there ever been anything that, you know, you've struggled with over the years or anything that has really helped, you know, define your career
1: in financial planning? Oh my gosh, you're just like jumping right into it. Like get, get to the dirt. No. Um, no, I never make any mistakes. Um, <laughs> I'd say the funniest thing for me. So not like so defining moments. Yes, I've had I've had a few that we could talk to just even about like being a woman in the industry as well and how that evolves over time. And there's some, been a lot of defining moments there. But I'd say in terms of like. <laughs> My big thing now looking back as I have clients and building this practice is I kind of equate like what I do like to my to, like my children, like do as I say, not as I do. Like that's basically what like I want my clients to do. because so I'm like, I tell everybody, I'm like, you could do it all, but you can't do it all at once, um, which is great advice that maybe I could have followed in my life, but I didn't. And I still tend to like really, I have to be very conscious about slowing down. I'm the kind of person, my weakness is... I want to knock it all out at once. I want to have the plan and I want to follow the plan to a T and make it all happen and be very (laughs) controlling. And I'd say the biggest defining moment uh, in like, just like financial planning, it didn't necessarily like go wrong, but it was the most, um, it did stuff went wrong. Stuff went wrong, but not like huge financial mistakes. But basically my husband and I decided that I would launch my financial planning firm he would leave the military, become a civilian. Uh, we would go through fertility treatments to try to get me pregnant and we would sell our condo and buy a house. Um, all literally probably within 12 months of each other. Wow. It was just not smart. (laughs) We had money like financially, you know, financially we did have money stashed aside. Um, but there was like so much transition going at once, especially those are really big financial moves. Um, And there was just a lot of insecurity and a lack of clarity around what we were doing. And and there was not really like an end point in mind. Um, So I think that was probably the biggest defining moment looking back on that now um we laugh about it we probably almost killed each other but um we laugh about it now and that's probably been one of the things like now i know okay having been through it and, and and it kind of is now like do as i say like because hey i did this it doesn't work out well for your relationship for your finances i mean we we probably sold our condo for less than we should have we had a horrible time um trying to like get into our home on time so we just had a lot of things where we put ourselves in poor in poor positions um we made it through okay financially but just like the one-off things i haven't actually gone back to calculate like what we probably could have made in certain areas or what we could have recouped um because i i that's probably a good idea don't want to do that yes exactly so that's probably like the one thing where i'd say we learned from that mistake that was in 2014 and 15 ish um that was all at once,
0: and I think you know sometimes it's, uh, you know, being a CFP or a financial planner. Like y- y- you know, we deal with numbers. That's you know w- w- the world we're in is is crunching numbers or trying to figure out you like read between the lines of numbers and things like that. And I've found personally, like one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that you have to sometimes step away from the numbers. Just like you said, you know, if you went back and calculated you know maybe if you could have done something a little bit different you may not have actually liked how those numbers worked out
1: exactly and i think one of the big things the misconception about like a cfp for example is that we are very numbers centric when i i have found and i'm sure you found this as well like there's actually a really big like therapy kind of com- component to what we do a behavioral side of what we do because it's not always numbers based and it's easy to say well route a is going to save me X amount of dollars where where route B will cost me X dollars. So therefore like a is the savings route. I should go that route, but there's the happiness component, right? Like what is going to make you the most happy because that's what we're here to do. We're here to use our money to live a life that we love. And without, you know, choosing that, uh, that happiness, I think there's, it's, becomes too heavily focused on numbers. Yeah, I
0: think that's such a good point. And I wish that more people talked about that because certainly I know, you know, from working with people is you are like a financial therapist, you know, that especially when you're dealing with couples, that is uh, probably 95% of what of what you do. And I think that as a, as a planner, it's helped me realize how emotions come into money decisions and how tricky it is sometimes. You know, I always tell people like, in, in my opinion, there isn't like the 10 things that you should do and those equate to financial success because it's so different for every person. But you really see how those emotions come to play. And sometimes the best decision for you is a decision that maybe doesn't necessarily make sense with the
1: numbers. Exactly. And that's, I think a lot of people just get hung up on that, on the numbers side of things. And that's where I think CFPs. I don't know. I don't know how you feel, or how you've been trained, but I think one of the big things is just, it's aligned with your goals, right? What's going to make you happy. And and that's kind of what we were lacking in that 2000, like that transition we made was okay. What's our end goal here? Why are we doing this? What and, and keeping that those things in mind to keep us grounded to making those smart decisions. We didn't have that in place. Now we have our own financial planner who makes us do those things, but um, <laughs> we didn't have that first, which is hard to do for yourself. Also, as a, as an aside, another like myth about CFPs. But I do think having those goals and that clarity around those things that do make us happy. It makes it easier to use those numbers towards our advantage as opposed to feeling resistance to like, oh, I have to do this because it makes financial sense. But, you know, this route makes me happy. Well, maybe you make changes, small changes along the way to actually do the things that make you happy. So did you
0: start out with the desire to be a financial planner or how did you kind of come into this career?
1: Um, I fell into the career, actually. So (laughs) long story short, um, my family while I was growing up, we were full Italian. And so I used to say that we spoke loudly about money in our house as we were growing up. And I do have some distinct memories about my parents fighting about money. Just like I remember coming home from school and hearing fights. My family's loud in Italian anyway. So yelling, you just talk loudly, but I just remember a lot of heated conversations. And I remember, my parents claiming bankruptcy while we were young and fights about losing the house. And I remember those conversations and those really impacted me. I didn't quite understand it at the time, but I had, I that my interest in money started then because I understood that we didn't have any. And then coming to college or going into college, I had to pay my own way through school. So there's like a few defining moments that I had in my life where I remember I was 18 and getting ready to graduate from high, from college, high school. And my parents were buying me a car And they were super great, right? Your parents are buying you a car. Like, that is amazing. Uh, We're at the dealership and my parents are negotiating. And I am probably the bratty kid, but also like I'm realizing that as my parents are negotiating to get this car for me that they are doing this and they don't have money to pay for college for me like it's kind of starting to like all everything's like kind of starting to come into play and I'm like oh crap I'd pay for it myself like this is like not the right way that you should be allocating money and so I remember like that being a defining moment like okay I have to do this on my own got loans in college I had to work my whole way through school so I fell into the industry my sophomore year of college I got a job as a as a client service associate in a financial planning for basically administrative assistant. I was working right up front where the clients were coming in and out. I had no idea what I was really doing. It was mostly just, I got the office job, and it was there that I began to learn about the industry. And I saw these clients coming in with, like, the you know, the fear and anxiety that people have around their money. You know, they come in, especially like the way that people traditionally do things in the industry. People are coming in with their stacks of statements and their little binders and feeling really insecure. And then I got to see how these guys were doing financial planning and investing money and having conversations with clients and, and giving them peace of mind and it was my sophomore year of college that i actually switched my major i went to san diego state so they had financial planning as a major so i majored specifically in financial services and started my career in the industry around 20 years old and you know, I'm 14 years in now. Wow,
0: that's such a great story. So do you feel like, you know, going through that with your parents and the bankruptcy and all that stress? Does that help you relate to people in a way that,
1: you know, you can really feel the emotions around money with people? Oh, my gosh, yes. I think having those experiences, knowing how I was raised around uh, money, knowing experiences that were great that I was lacking, obviously, the money thing was uh, not my parents' strong suit, but the, you know, supporting the family was that would, my dad would do, you know, work three jobs for the family. So knowing that, and actually as a, as a female CFP, I don't see a lot of men do this. Actually, I, I re- share a lot of those stories with my clients. I share very openly about what I went through uh, the anxiety. I say that, you know, even you know, even now I still struggle with bag lady syndrome. My husband's constantly like, Hey, we are okay. We are, we are not going to end up on the streets. I'm like, are you sure? Um, you know? <laughs> and so those things, I'm very open about that. And even just yesterday I did a consultation with clients, uh, potential clients. And I was talking to them and I was telling the wife and I was like, you are very similar to me. You have anxiety, you have, but you are doing very well and you're, you're going to be okay. Trust me. I was like, and I was saying like the husband was more like my husband he was like, calm down. We are all right. We're allowed to enjoy ourselves. Um, so knowing those experiences and and being open about that actually kind of breaks down a barrier for people to feel more comfortable coming to me as well. So it's definitely something I talk about. It's definitely makes it easier to understand and sympathize with people as well. I can also pinpoint when they have anxieties or, or insecure about things. Also, it's easier for me to pick up on those having been through it myself.
0: I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied. Or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using DeleteMe, and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide DeleteMe with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/etm. That's m-o-n-a-r-c-h m-o-n-e-y.com/etm for your extended 30-day free trial. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time or just relax to a good book, So sit back,
1: relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you bring up uh, the point about being a female CFP. And, you know, we both know the statistics. uh, The numbers for female CFPs has not been increasing. It's stayed stagnant for years and years and years and years. Why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, more
1: women aren't uh, compelled to join this career? They think it's sales. I think that's completely it. I remember I almost left this industry so many times uh, because I was told I only had to work with, I could only work with people who had a million dollars who were like my grandparents age. Um, And I remember being in the major in college and having, I don't want to like talk down about having insurance companies come to recruit who um, were going to teach me how to basically sell their products. and, And I was going to have to cold call. And so you, a lot of women don't understand the relationship aspect of this business. And a lot of women don't understand how skillful they are, the skills that they already have that are basically like innately within us, which is to make connections, to have conversations, to build the relationships. A lot of women discount that. And I think there's not enough knowledge about this, the service that we actually provide. And I think that it's intimidating as a woman. I was, you know, 20 something when I joined this industry and I can't tell you how many conferences I went to where even now as a 30 something owning my own, my own company, having clients all around the country where I'm still like, Oh, whose assistant? Are you, Oh, you're too young to be in this industry. Oh, you own your own firm. And so it's very old boys club in this industry. And it's unfortunate. It's, it's just very old school. And so I think that there's not enough push or knowledge about how you actually can do things. And, and with that, I mean, the CFP board put has as doing a new advertising initiative, which I, I do and don't agree with in certain ways. Um I think that I think it requires hard work to be in this industry, but I think it's really a really exciting industry and the relationships that evolve and the way that you can do things has evolved and there's not enough push or public knowledge about that right now.
0: And I also think there's not enough exposure to the different elements uh, or I should say variety of a career that you can have you know there's not one way to do this there's there's so many different ways and you can work part-time or full-time or you know you can really make this your own as a woman and i'm I'm not sure there's enough conversation
1: around that no, there's not. I think the other discount is like a lot of people think, okay, well you either have to do this to get your own clients or you're gonna work for somebody else and and see their clients but there's so many other to your point different career options you can do operations you can do investments you can work uh and get your cfp and go do marketing for a company there's so many different ways to leverage your skills and your interests and i don't think i don't think there is enough actually information about that out there it's like you get your cfp and you work with clients and that's the direct path that you have to go on and own your own company or else you're not there's almost like a you're not good enough if you don't own your company there's a little bit of that like out there too a little bit of a discount like if you're not doing you're seeing your own clients or like out there like, what is it? Like, um, you eat what you kill, whatever, like get your own clients, like which is also, hello, very masculine, right? Those are like the terms that you do. But if you're not out there building your own relationships, then, um, then you're kind of like there's already like a ranking there, right? Like that you're not the salesperson. So therefore your service and maybe it's not as valued. And I just think there's a complete disconnect with the way things were traditionally run with the way our generation is taking things now. Like, look, we're both CFPs, we have our own podcasts, we're passionate about educating people, you teach classes, I have my own, you know, there's so many different ways to leverage your expertise. And I just don't think that a lot of people know that right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I could put an exclamation mark on that. So if you weren't a financial planner, what would you be
1: doing? Oh my gosh. I, if I was not a financial planner, I would be, Oh, probably doing like marketing, like con- marketing, consulting. Uh, I'd have my own marketing consulting business and I would be living in Italy. That's my goal. <laughs> I <laughs> my, love that. Originally when I started my college, like my college degree, I was majoring in international studies and it wasn't until I realized like I was paying again, paying my own way. I was studying in Italian, I'm, being Italian, I was studying Italian and wanted to live in Italy. And, Realized that it was going to be much more expensive for me to do that on my own dollar. So that never happened. But I would probably have my own marketing consulting company
0: and be living in Italy. What what part of it, Italy do you have a favorite? Oh, my
1: favorite. I would say Rome. Rome is my favorite.
0: For the food or the culture or
1: the, the, the craziness? The all of it the activity um i've been all around but i think i'd st- I'd, I'd anchor myself there and then travel obviously it's kind of small <laughs> smaller place so I'd, I'd anchor myself in rome and then travel all around
0: yeah i spent i've spent 24 hours in rome which obviously was not enough oh. time but it was one of those <laughs> like all right, we've got 26 hours. What can we see and what can we do in this, you know, super short period of time? And, uh, you know, I just was blown away how in Rome you just you you turn a corner and suddenly there's, you know, a ruin in front of you. And it's just it's so different than how we live life. Obviously, here we're both in California, but, you know, it's just it was so incredible to to see that, and pe- people live amongst that.
1: Exactly, and, and so yeah, I was just totally enamored. I've been uh, a couple times, and I I love it. So I digress, but yes, that would be what I was doing. I think marketing, and that's just from the experience that I've I have. I really enjoy the marketing side of my business and being able to be creative and um, leverage different platforms for building an audience and educating people. So I see that would probably be where I would have another career. So how do you balance it all? Your
0: CFP, thriving practice, your mom, an author, a podcast host, obviously. Uh, are there any tips for how you you manage this all? Cry at least once a week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good yes. one. Um, honestly, I have a very supportive spouse. My husband is very, very supportive. So I think that is the one thing that makes this all doable. He even when I don't believe in myself, he believes in me. And so when I'm down, I have him as a sounding board to be like, Oh, you're, you know, get back up, you're doing great, like those sort of things. Um, He having a supportive partner in my life has been incredibly helpful, especially with the kids. Um, Also, giving myself grace. So I love what I do. I love the practice that I built. I love working with clients. I love I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I love all that aspect. And so one of the things I found when I first and I had our first daughter and our daughter, um I was really hard on myself because I felt like I should have been this other kind of mom who wanted to be home all the time and wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and raise my kids and look into like different parenting techniques and all of these different stuff, which, you know, I read the books, but I, I also I didn't see myself as a stay-at-home mom and I never have. And so I felt really bad about that. I felt guilty that I didn't want to stay home. Um and Brian, my husband actually does a lot of the the balancing stuff. He'll cook. He'll take care of the kids in the evenings when I'm working. Um, he'll take the kids. I think he told me like a couple weeks ago. He took our uh, six month old son, who's now six months, um, and our our almost three year old daughter. He took them to the grocery store, and he had a daughter in the grocery cart, and he was wearing Luca, our son. And he's like, a little old lady came up to me at the grocery store and said, "My my, times have changed. You wouldn't see that my day." <laughs> And so, uh, which is so funny, again, going back to gen- gender stereotypes, So I would beat myself up about that before, right? Feeling like, oh, that should have been me, I should be doing that. And um, now it's just, I, I'm forgiving of myself, and I accept, like, you know what? hey, this is what I, I'm meant to do. I'm passionate about these things, and the people that I'm serving, and then I am working on still just being present with my kids when I'm able to be present with them, um, and we still. So one of the big things is I'm look, even trying to do right now is like the weekends are just family time. Whereas I used to feel like this pull to I have to respond to all of the emails and do all of the things. Now I just shut it off. Like I'm not working on the weekends. I'm with my family trying to do those things. Um, so. Just having clear divisions and boundaries is always a work in progress, but I'm trying to get really good about doing that.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you with the uh, the boundaries. And uh, oftentimes, my husband, Jeff, will grab my phone on the weekend and say, No, no, no. <laughs> yes. We are turning the shutting it down. We're going to shut it down. You know, there's nothing so important right now that you can't turn your phone off. Exactly.
1: And that's what my husband says. He's like, I always say, He said, This is why I ask you, what are you looking at? Uh, it'll be like, I'm just looking, you know, an email or nothing. And nothing. And <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, you're right. You caught me. Uh, but it's it's a practice. It's really hard. And I suffer, and I'm sure you do as an entrepreneur as well, maybe from the shiny object syndrome. It's like, ooh, this could be exciting. Or, oh, here's this thing that could distract me. Or what about going down this rabbit hole to look at this new thing? Um, so it's trying to be really intentional with my time is has become especially a bigger priority since we just had our son.
0: Yeah, I, this last month um I've said, okay, I'm going to do uh you know one of those silly like stay off Facebook and Instagram challenges, which is kind of crazy because in what we do, you have to be on social media in a way. Um so, you know, in in one respect, I found myself like early on reaching for the phone and I was like, wait a minute, why am I reaching for the phone? There's nothing for me to look at on the phone, you know? So I'd go to like <laughs> right. the weather app or something stupid, you know, just to feel like, oh, I'm looking at something. And now, you know, uh, almost a month into that, I-, I found myself thinking like, you know what? I'm not sure I actually am missing anything. Like it's, it's good occasionally to see, you know, what my friends are up to, but it's amazing to realize like how fast your brain can get, um, you know, tripped into thinking like, these are the things you actually absolutely have to do. And especially as an entrepreneur.
1: Exactly. Oh, and it's so easy. It's just mindless scrolling too. And, uh, I actually even deleted the news app from my phone because I found myself, I, when I deleted the social media apps, I would go to the news app and still do like mindless scrolling. I was looking, I started looking at not even relevant news, news that would either give me anxiety or I started looking at like e-news, which is not, you know, which is the same thing as like mind candy. Like I (laughs) was just not helpful. So, um, yeah, I think I've I've tried to unwind from those things, uh, and I've deleted Facebook from my phone multiple times for extended periods. And and my newest one is the whether or not Instagram is actually relevant to building the business and if it need, if I need to be there as present. So picking and choosing. So again, trying to be intentional. Where am I spending my time? Why am I spending it there? Is it personal? Is it business? What is the goal behind it? Trying to think through those things and be intentional about what I'm doing during that time. So like Instagram, for example, ends up being a time suck in the evenings sometimes, which it shouldn't be. That's the time it should be with my kids. So is that really relevant? Am I getting clients from there? Probably not. I can probably just stay off Instagram or figure out how to schedule it out if it's that important to me and move on.
0: Yeah. That, those are such good points. I'm glad we're in the same space right now. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> so, you know, offline, we chatted about this, but, uh, you know, there's a, obviously a big national discussion about women. Women are sort of at the forefront right now, whether it's the disadvantage in our careers, our earning power, uh, you know, relationships, all sorts of things. It's all kind of being turned up right now in a good way. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask you pick your brain a little bit. What do you see is some of the money stumbling blocks that that women need to be aware of? I
1: think a lot of women um don't understand that they are likely to live longer that they are likely to be caregivers um that they are likely to earn less i think a lot of women we talk about it right it's a national conversation but they don't understand how that actually translates into their individual lives um i think a lot of women the big thing and i think we talked about this offline the big thing that i think women don't understand is like how they how they end up earning less and the comfort level, what activity they also could take in earning more and the conversations that they can have around that. I think there's a lot of discomfort. We talked about negotiating. I think I was emailing you about that. Um, I think a lot of women don't feel comfortable going in to earn more, ask more, and they don't understand how those reduced numbers, like the math behind it, how getting paid less translates into saving less, that translates into less accrued interest, therefore less in retirement and a, a lower kind of quality of life uh, at that point in time as well. So I think they don't understand the stumbling box of of what that actually looks like because because we're doing the day to day, right? You're doing the caregiving, you're doing the working, you're doing like all of the things. Um, they don't understand what that actually means as opposed to like looking at it on paper.
0: And even, you know, starting out your, your first job, if you will, even making an extra five or $10,000, the, the magnitude of what that could mean later on in your career, you know, it's, it starts the kind of, um, time clock if you will of you know how much you can invest and you know how much a company is going to match in a 401k and all of those sorts of things that that do like you say it has a dramatic impact and i think we tend to look at it only in isolation like oh it's only 5 or 10,000 or however much it is that that surely can't make that big of a difference. Exactly. Until
1: you start to actually quantify it, right? And start to say like, oh, $5,000 at 6% interest over 20 years. Like that's actually a bigger number. So um, which I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to make sure I'm doing it right though. Um, I'm going to tell you what it is. <laughs> My trusty little, do you carry around your financial calculator like I do? It's like the nerdiest thing that I do. I do. It's, like, it's an accessory for me. Um, okay. I'm not doing that right. Oh, because I'm doing it as a present value. That's why. Um, We're pausing for a math calculation. Okay, 183000 over 20 years. That is a very, very
0: big number from a potentially small number. Exactly. And
1: so I think a lot of people just don't understand that. You know, $5,000 saved over 20 years. Um, yeah, 183,000. So a lot of women don't know that, right? They don't know, how to, you know there's the calculations involved, but they don't understand what that translates into. And, and then even what that 183,000 could do for them. So I, I think there's just a disconnect and there's not enough education out there. And there's not, there's conversations that we're starting about women don't earn as much, you know, the, there's like the pay wait, there's the, the pay gap, but I think it's also Um, the ability to save as well and what that looks like for them. So when you do get those extra bumps in income, there's not enough education around like what you're supposed to do with it and how you don't end up spending it, you know, how you, don't do um lifestyle creep,
0: yeah, and I mean those are great points even for the guys listening to this podcast. you know the
1: same thing applies exactly, and so I think a lot of women just aren't prepared for those things that they are more likely to encounter, which is again, having time out of the workforce for taking care of a parent or for a child or earning less or living longer than your significant other. those are all things that that do come up um, that they aren't prepared for, and i I've seen the unfortunate side of it. I've seen you know people our age who are widowed. And you know, there's life insurance proceeds or there's not life insurance proceeds. And then what happens? Um, so there's you know, little things like that, like that a lot of women aren't educated on. Um, and the conversation I think is is great. And I think I think where a big disconnect is, and I talk about this a lot with women and clients, is a lot of women feel like they're not smart enough with money, like they're not good enough. And so I think there's this whole the media. And a bigger scale tells us that to be good with money, like you should be picking stocks and you should be reading the Wall Street Journal or looking at the news and understanding the stock market. And I think that is a big misconception that a lot of people have. Whereas I think being smart with money, that you actually can define what that means for you and set the standard for yourself. And then once you feel good about that, like maybe it's just that you read you know, one article a week, or that, hey, you check your bank account balance, or that you know that you have a budget in place that you use this app to keep yourself on track, or you have a fully stocked emergency fund, like what does being good with money look like to you? I think there's not enough conversations around that with women, as opposed to the feeling of like, here's all of the things that are wrong. Here's where you should be, which is like this imaginary thing, like wearing your high heels, reading the Wall Street Journal, whatever. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody has time for that.
0: I don't have time for that. Oh,
1: I don't have time for that.
0: So I'd love to chat a little bit um, as we wrap up about your podcast, Work Your Wealth. Uh, you know, what sort of topics do you talk about? Have you had any favorite episodes and, and what just motivated you to, to start this podcast?
1: So Work Your Wealth started, so one of the things that started when I, when I launched Workable Wealth was I wanted to make financial planning fun, affordable, and accessible. And so as I've been in business, um, I've had to increase my fees. As my family has grown, and I wanted to be more present with them, and so I'm not able to serve everybody and I still wanted to have resources available though so first, I had the book Work your Wealth." that's what kind of came about when I realized that there were people who were not quite ready to start working with me either so the books the book started first Work your Wealth," and that basically walks people through my whole financial planning process. If I work with a client, it's not like a let's customize the process to what works for you. It's like, no, this is the process that we walk everybody through. You will get something that's customized towards your information, but you will go through this very same process. And so the book was built um, and created just exactly how I work my clients through creating a financial plan. I'd created that to teach clients or teach readers how to build their own financial plan. And so from there, the work your wealth podcast spun off as a way basically to kind of address things where life money and career intersect is kind of what my goal was behind the podcast. And so I've had interviews around career, public speaking around taxes, around estate planning. I mean, I've the conversations vary all over the place, but I try to make them just money centric conversations. So how to negotiate more, how to my new, one of my favorite ones has been um, I had a CPA on earlier this year and we talked about the tax reform and how that can impact you as an entrepreneur and things to think about. And that was actually one of my favorite ones because a lot of people were up in arms about the tax reform and then have no idea how it actually impacted them. So I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, another one that we had, I had one with, um, Manisha Decor, we talked about just like women and money also, same conversation, just about some of the things that we encounter and how we can become more comfortable uh, with ourselves and with talking about money amongst our friends and how we can push things forward. So really, it's kind of also, it's a female-centric kind of podcast that men listen to it as well. Uh, another one that I got a lot of really good feedback on was... Uh, kind of a unique one, but also uh, how to manage your finances and infertility. So us, yeah, us going through infertility on our own side as well. We did IVF and I talked about that and things to think about on the financial side. And I think that's, it's not talked about enough. It's a whole another conversation we could have, but being a CFP going through the process, I was kind of had like, you know, like your high beams up, you know, you're kind of like antennas up, like what, What kind of shady practices are there? What kind of things should you think about? What do you have no control over? What do you have control over? So that podcast actually walked through everything that we considered in the process that I went through in terms of calling insurance companies, where you can save money, what you can leverage, questions that you can ask. Uh, I got a lot of great feedback on that one.
0: Okay. This this is awesome. I feel like we could have five more podcast episodes. So as we slide off our podcast, Millennial Money, and onto your podcast, what is one money myth that you'd like to break?
1: I think... The one money myth that I would like to break is that it's not about how much money that you have. It's basically about how much money that you keep. So it doesn't matter like how much how much money you're bringing in does matter a little bit, you know, in, in the big scheme of things. But really, it's about what you do with what you keep, right? It's about what you're doing with what you have. If you're sitting on cash, if you're making it work for you, like it's about what you do with what you keep. And I think there's a disconnect that you have to have a whole bunch of money in the bank and do all of these things in order to be wealthy, and that's just not the case. So. I think that's the biggest thing to keep in mind. It's about what you do with what you have on hand and how you make it work for you.
0: So be sure you head on over to the link in the show notes to check out part two of the interview with me on Mary Beth's podcast, Work Your Wealth. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, hey, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media, and head on over to that little link in the show notes to leave us a review.